Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue to unpack the word here together. Thank you for all the hard work and the behind-the-scenes time that our praise team puts into and Also, we've had several who have uh, volunteered and just been willing to be greeters and to be out at the desk and welcome and and do all the stuff behind the scenes that are really, really important. So I appreciate each of you and and your willingness to to serve together and uh, thankful for each of you. If you want to help out, please don't hesitate to see Pastor David or I. Uh, we, We would love to have you serving with us. A couple quick things just to bring to your attention. First, just a reminder, Thelma Bean, uh, one of our last two charter members, um, is turning 100 on June 24th. Um, If you receive an email from us uh, each week, then in the prayer bulletin part is uh, the address to her son. Uh, So if you want to send cards, we're trying to Uh, send close to 100 cards. I think that would be really, really cool for her to get. So if you haven't done that yet, you're not too late. Um, You can be a part of that. But uh, Thelma Bean turns 100 on June 24th. Um, There are growth bags. If your child did not receive them yet or pick them up on coming on the way in, um, they're outside on on a little table there. For those of you adults who need a growth bag, help yourself. There's a snack inside. All right. Uh, since we don't have coffee and, and sweets out there, you know, you need a snack to keep you awake. Um, they're out there. We appreciate Ellie and Marissa and all their hard work. Um, you probably have received information concerning the online directory. Um, if you come to me and ask me for help, you won't get it, okay? I, I could probably walk you through it if I sat in front of your computer. But if you need help... Uh, please don't be afraid to ask. Uh, Aaron Hesketh is our, again, doing a summer internship with, uh, with the media and is really setting that up. So please see him. Um, and, uh, and then Pastor David's there as well. Pastor David's tech savvy too. So um, the last thing I just want to make mention is the opportunity for five-day clubs. Um, Marissa ha- and Ellie put out announcements about five-day clubs, and let me encourage you, I, this is really an op- opportunity for us to utilize where we are as communities and as the body of Christ. So we're, we're not able to do a VBS here where we have all these children, um, but we can do VBSs in your backyard. And so this is really an opportunity, and if you want to know more, please don't hesitate um, to talk to Marissa. Marissa, just wave your hand. That's Marissa. Um, or Ellie. Um, she's back there in the back, um, probably holding a baby maybe. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm jealous now. She was holding a baby. And uh, so see them. Five-day clubs, partnering with CEF. It's a great opportunity. You say, well, I don't have any children. You can still have a role. You can still have a part of this. We need your help. All right, we need your willingness to be a part of this. CEF really does almost all the work. All you're doing is opening your backyard so that kids can get together and hear about Jesus. It's the simplest method for you to be able to share Jesus right now. And it just happens because kids gather 
in backyards and no virus is going to stop that and that's what's happening right now and so we want to take advantage of what what's laid before us and so uh, again i just encourage you to pray about that to think about that and uh, and to utilize this opportunity that's laid before us this summer so we come to this um, this book acts and we come to this chapter acts chapter eight and uh we're going to unpack it together. And so if you have your Bibles and you're open to Acts chapter 8, I want to read through this um, and walk through this together. So let's read it, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, but I encourage you, if you do have a Bible, that you follow along in your text there with you, with me. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read the first 25 verses. And Saul approved of his execution. Whose? It was Stephen. Stephen was just executed. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip... As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, um, but they had only been baptized in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the, Holy Spirit, that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoke the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
Would you pray with me, Lord, as we look in your text, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to see you today. May your spirit have free reign of our hearts. We need changed. We need continual conformment into the image of your son, Jesus. Today is part of that, and so we pray that your spirit would have the freedom and would work in a great way in each of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Messiah, the Savior. Amen. I've titled today, It is Spreading. Any of you ever um, get poison ivy? It's a great thing, isn't it? I remember being a kid and riding bikes and our bike trails where we rode our, our, our pedal bikes um, had poison ivy all around and we would get it all the time. And it would kind of start on our, your, on our legs because we were, we were biking through it and then it would travel on our arms and thankfully none of us had it real bad on our face. But as we grew up, we realized, and I know there's lots of different myths, and if you look it up, Pastor David and I have talked about this all the time. There's scientific studies that it doesn't really spread and all this. Listen, I know what I experienced, all right? It started on my legs, and if I scratched it and rubbed it, it moved up here, all right? That's all I know. They say it may not do that, which is fine. The thing is, is... Once you had poison ivy, you did your best not to scratch it because you knew it would only make it worse. Um, There's a game called Pandemic. I don't know if any of you have ever played it before, but Pandemic is a pretty cool game, even in the midst of what we're encountering now. And what it is, is there's different uh, viruses and different things that are traveling across the world, and you're working with other people in partnership, trying to get work together in stopping that the pandemic or that virus from spreading. Um, what's cool here is what we see is spreading as something really good. It's actually the opposite of a virus or poison ivy or, or uh, chicken pox. What is spreading is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we saw as Jesus left the disciples in chapter one and said, hey, you are going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and and to the uttermost parts of the world is actually taking place. We see it happening. And this is a huge, huge event of what's what's happening. So we kind of read the text in America today and our Western mindset, and we kind of lose sight of what has taken place here in chapter 8, what has taken place is the gospel uh, was uh, for the Jews, to the Jews, they rejected it. It's still in Jerusalem, though, and the apostles are mainly still in Jerusalem, even though they've started to go to some little towns outside of the city. But we see in chapter 8, something huge has taken place. Let's look at it. Chapter 8. And it really comes on the heels of what, how we finished chapter 7. And that is, Stephen was executed. Stephen was killed for the cause of Christ. All right? He claimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that the religious leaders of that time crucified him, put him to death. They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen 
to Moses. They were trying to keep the law, but they had not listened to the promises of God that was sent through them so that they could accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So Stephen dies. Again, Dr. Luke helps us to see what is going to come. He's foreshadowing when he says in the first verse, Saul approved of his executions. We already know that Saul is there when Stephen is killed because the coats of those who chased after and threw rocks at him are laid at his feet. Saul is approving of these executions, of what's happened, the persecution that's taking place. And so we see on the heels of this, there's a, there's a short, just little, almost parenthesis, Saul approved because there's going to be a change. It helps us to see where Saul was, and it's, going, it's in a way foreshadowing, and we already know the other part, who Paul is going to become, and the change from Saul to Paul. The next part of this, verse 1, says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stay in the city. Now, all those who had accepted Jesus, and, and we know that this is a great crowd because it continued to grow. Dr. Luke told us the numbers that over 3,000, and it continued to grow. People were amazed as they came to the temple, as they heard the gospel message, the good news, and they accepted Jesus. Their lives were changed, but something has happened. The religious establishment of that time, those leaders would not stand anymore for this call of Jesus as the true Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. And so what they started to do was to, to, to push down, to try to lay down these claims. And so what they did is they persecuted the church. We know persecution happens even this day. Persecution is not something new. But we see this is new for the church. For those who are claiming Jesus Christ as Savior, those who are in Jerusalem are now being persecuted. They're being thrown into jail. Mothers, fathers um, are, are now being separated. They've been thrown in because of why? Because their faith of Jesus Christ. And so something extraordinary happens and it's something that we've seen even today that we see and realize, and it happened here in the early church. And that is when persecution happens, the gospel spreads. I don't know about you, but I would never have come up with that kind of method. Let, let's be happy. Let's, let's walk around in joy and let's, let's just tell the good message that way, right? No, there's something that happens here. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church. And out of Jerusalem now, the gospel message is sent. Persecution leads to the gospel being spread. Ultimately, we see here now what was happening in Jerusalem leads to the regions of Judea and Samaria. In verse 1, but then we look down in verse 4, we see the scattering went preaching the word. So look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So just because they were persecuted didn't mean that they stopped talking about who Jesus was. They kept preaching the word. And they kept talking about who this man that had changed their life. 
verse, let's go back to verse two. We see a little bit of the lament, the sorrow, the hardship of this time. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Stephen was a great man who was full of the spirit, who gave a great sermon, and now he's dead. And so we see that God still was using him as people were lamenting over him. Um, And then it gives us this other contrasting phrase or sentence in verse three. But Saul, but Saul, so here's these men who are lamenting over this great man who stood for God, but Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. One of the things that I think um, we, I have been trained to do in my life is to be a good observer. And as we walk through life, we observe what's going on in our surroundings. That's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. It's a smart thing. I want to teach my girls to know what's going on around them. I need to teach Zach too, but Zach's a little faster than them, so... What? Now they're questioning whether Zach's fast or not. We'll have a race later today. In our observation of what's going on around us, we can, we can cross a line. And in that line we cross, we start to judge. We start placing judgment on what we think. What we see here, what this is reminding me of, here is Saul who is ravaging the church, who approved of this execution, who we know later on what's going to happen to his life, but put yourself right there and then in the text of that time. This man is not a good man. So how would you look at him? How do you view those who are part of injustice? One of our Friday prayer times, one of our dear people here um, prayed for those who were looting and rioting and causing harm and violence that, that we would have compassion on them. And it opened my eyes because it's only the grace of God that we are where we are. It's not because you're something special. And just because somebody is doing that doesn't mean that the hand and heart of God couldn't touch them and change them. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, do we really think they're worthy of that? Well, They're made in the same image of God that you are. We must be careful, shouldn't we? I'm just reading from the text. I'm not trying to spiritualize it. I think it's critical, as Dr. Luke is writing for us, how we view those who are part of the world, who are doing things that we would never agree upon. We need to have compassion for them, and we need to love them, and we need to pray for them. I'm not saying that what they do is right 
or that we can excuse that or that there shouldn't be some consequence. What I'm saying, though, is what we see in the text, we know what God is going to do in Saul. We're going to see it in a couple of chapters. God is going to transform Saul's life and he is going to go and preach the gospel and be a main instrument for God's use. And here though, here and now, he is ravaging the church. How many of us would have gave up on him? How many of us would have just classified him as a thug and placed him on the side and said, you're no good? We don't know who God's going to use and how he's going to use them. God, help us to see people as you do, right? Let's keep going. We come to verse 6. It says, In the crowds with one accord, well, the Philip went down to the city of Samaria in verse 5 and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, and they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So to hear and see equals to pay attention. They heard him. They saw the work of the Spirit and the transformation that was taking place in some of these people's lives. Some of it was very visual as as Philip is casting out demons, as people are being healed. God is using the apostles and the teachers of this time in, in in a powerful way. The Spirit is is allowing them to do some of these things so that people can see that Jesus is real and that the gospel um, message has credibility. And so as we see this in verse 6, we see that the people are listening. And verse 7 gives us some insight and from unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them and, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then notice the verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Now remember what we were just looking at. Persecution, hardship, the church was being ravaged. But yet God was using those hardships to bring what? To the Samaritans. Ultimately to bring them joy. So here, was the, here were the believers who were suffering and who were being tormented as they followed Christ. And as they were spread about, and as we see a picture in Samaria, as Philip was sharing the good news, great things were happening. And so much so that the whole city, their attitude changed. There was great joy because the Spirit of God was in that place and working. I've said this a couple weeks ago, and I believe it's true, and I think it's probably a phrase that we need to use and understand. Do you believe that Jesus changes everything? He does. That our hardship may bring healing and joy to somebody else. Can you look at your life that way? That that the hardships and the struggles that you may be going through could bring joy and healing to somebody else? Only Jesus could do that, couldn't he? The next section is 
we see a glimpse of inside of the city. So we see this man named Simon, verse eight, verse nine. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and was amazed and amazed the people of Samaria, saying he himself was somebody great. Um, and they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. Um, he had amazed them with his magic. And so what we see here is Simon, he, he is, he's a man who is using um, uh, magical forces. This is something that we see in the Old Testament that is very clear for Israel to stay away from. And yet he is dabbled in it and he is truly a magician. He's not just an illusionist, he's a magician. And uh, if you read a little bit about him, and even from um, Justin Martyr, who Justin Martyr lived uh, from 100 AD to 165. So he was a little bit after Simon, but during this period of time where he was probably there. And the cool thing about Justin um, uh, Martyr is that he was a Samaritan as well. And so thinking about who... Justin Martyr was, and as he wrote about this Simon, he would have heard and had pretty close ties. So this is what Justin Martyr had to say about this man named Simon, that, that uh, he believed that, that he, was, he was looked upon by the people of Samaria as a god, and that um, above all power and authority and might, and that some confessed that this man as their first God. And so he did such amazing things um, that the people of Samaria um, respected him and, and cherished him. It's kind of like entertainment in a way, like this man was a celebrity. And so all the people of Samaria looked to him and, and, and wanted to be around him. That's the background story. Now let's see what happens. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, again, the contrast here, the people are, are following Simon, but now Philip comes, preaches the gospel. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Um, some have said that maybe because of what we're going to read here in a minute, that maybe Simon um, wasn't truly uh, saved. I don't read that in the text. The text tells me this is a guy who believed and he was baptized. He gave public account that this is what he believed. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Now, understand verse 14 through 16 is all one sentence. This is the kind of text that I go to my English teachers and say, look, run on sentence. It's okay. If it's in the Bible, it must be okay for me. Verses 14 through 16 is all one sentence. It says this. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they, may, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what has happened here is 
Dr. Luke uses some terms here that help us that not yet the spirit had not come upon them. And that phrase meaning something was different about this time. Something was different about these believers as they had trusted Jesus and as they were baptized, the spirit didn't come upon them. Now, we don't know exactly why. When you look at the Samaritans and you look at the Jewish leaders, there's always been something, as we even read in the, New, in the Gospels, this conflict. The Samaritans had trouble with the religious leaders of that time. And so could it possibly be that God waited for the Spirit to come upon these new believers in Samaria so that the religious gospel leaders could come and that they could see that the power of God was upon them? Could be. I don't know. I'm not God. I didn't live through this. All I'm looking at is the Samaritans and the Jews the Jewish religious establishment had struggles during that time. And when you start to see it, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God had a plan in the apostles. We see that who? Peter and John coming from Jerusalem with God's authority to preach and display the gospel would come and lay hands on them and that they would receive the Spirit so that they would first know that that the Spirit of God lives in them and that they're equipped with the Spirit, but also that this, these leaders that God appointed, God was working genuinely through and so that they could become one church, not divided. Verse 17, it says, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, be careful before you start casting a lot of judgment here. Um, this guy's occupation has now, is going to totally change. His life has changed. He can't continue to keep practicing this dark magic and making spells and coming up and selling spells anymore, potions. His life has changed. And because of that, he, he's looking and saying, wow. And, and any businessman may start to think, entrepreneur may say, oh, th this is real. I see this. I, I, I want to be able to do that. So don't, don't throw all your stones. Keep a few of them, okay? We're quick to throw stones, and rightly so. We see the text where his heart was, but try to put yourself in his shoes. So Peter says to him this, verse 20. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So again, what I said is, here is this man. He's lost his occupation in that sense, his identity. He was a great man known almost as a God or as a God to be worshipped in power and might. And, and he is no longer that. 
And so he wants to come and buy and purchase this power that the apostles have. And ultimately, when we think that we can buy spiritual power, we're, we're going in opposition of how God works and God's demands and his standards. It, it is like he wanted to acquire the gift of the Holy Spirit, but this is ultimately a gift from God. And attempting to acquire the Holy Spirit by money shows his attempt to manipulate God himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I do the same thing at times, though. How many times are you trying to manipulate God so that he can work out the way you want him to work? Well, if I just pray this prayer and I say in Jesus' name, then it's some magic formula that it's going to happen. And when it doesn't, we're severely disappointed because it was supposed to happen. Like we have some form in manipulating God. Now, I'm not saying that prayer doesn't work. Prayer does work. God tells us that prayer is critical and important. But when my prayer becomes not his will, but my will, then it becomes trying to manipulate God to work out situations in, in my favor. And that's what Peter's addressing here. He's talking about this matter. He's not talking about Simon's eternal salvation. He talks about in verse 21, uh, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. What's the matter? The matter is handing out the spirit, this having the power to pray and lay hands on somebody and then receive the Holy Spirit. That's the matter at hand here. And Peter lets him know clearly, you, you, you don't have a part in this. When we look at this text, we see at the end, um, you know, you see Simon's answer to this. He says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I think it shows his heart and his true intent. He's like, whoa, whoa, I'm, I messed up. Would you, you, you got to pray for me. Then we see verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken, I think this is the apostles. It's not Philip. It's talking still about they. And, and when you look at the verbiage, it's still pointing to John and to Peter. It says, they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And roughly, if you do a little history, you find out that there were roughly 140 to 146 different settlements of the Samaritans at this time. And so here were Peter and John going from settlement to settlement, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ on their way back to Jerusalem. As we review today, here's two things to take away. Number one, God is always in charge and in control. God is always in charge and he's in control. No matter what happens in the persecutions, whether it causes somebody deaths like Stephen's death, uh, we see the saved and the joy that they have. We also see the Holy Spirit given as a gift and uniting the body of Christ. We can say that God is always in charge and that he is always in control and he is always worthy of our trust. We have to get out of our picture. We got to get out of our perspective and we have to see that God is bigger he is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is worthy of our trust. The question is not will you just trust him once, but will you trust him every day of your life? 
Will you trust him in the difficult seasons and in the good seasons? Will you trust him even though life may not turn out the way you planned and the way you may be trying to manipulate it? Are you willing to lay down your life to trust, to trust in God? Number two, we see in verse 25, this term testify, which means to bear witness. The apostles, and we see Philip as he's preaching the text, and we're going to see him later down the road in the rest of this chapter. But they are bearing witness. They're testifying of who Jesus is. They're testifying to God's word. They're testifying of God's work in the lives of those around them. So not only do we need to trust God, he's worthy because he's always in charge and he's always in control, even using evil for good. We are called to testify, to bear witness of what he's given us. What has changed your life? What has made you who you are? If Jesus Christ is not the center and not the main uh, factor of who you are today, then, then you need to look and say, okay, who am I trusting? God desires to have a relationship with you, and that relationship only comes through Jesus Christ. To, to believe that Christ came and that he died on the cross for your sin, he was buried, and that three days later, he rose from the dead. When he changes your life, you can't help but to talk about it. But the older we get, the more we can get wrapped up into this world. The more we, get, we allow that light to start to just fade away. And we need, allow, we need to allow the Spirit of God to rekindle that in our lives. And we need to bear witness that this is the truth, that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Bear witness, testify of his work in your life. God has chosen to use you and me as his ambassadors. I want to ask you, how, how good are you doing at being his ambassador? An ambassador means that you represent him and that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, that we're always going to get right. Simon, Simon needed discipled. He needed to learn the way of the Lord. So Peter very sternly says, mm -mm, this isn't what this is all about. Where are you in your journey? Where are you as image bearers for Jesus Christ? He's chosen you. He's chosen me as his children to display the image of an awesome God. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we need to fall flat on our face and upon our knees, asking for forgiveness, seeking his ways. But we must exhibit to a lost and dying world that there is hope that through Jesus, there is change. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for today. Thank you for 
the opportunity of being here, of worshiping you, of bringing you glory. And as you've spoken to us, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to change us so that we may leave here with a better understanding of not only who we are and who you are, but that we may put into action some of the things that we've heard today. Increase our faith, Lord. We pray that you would increase our joy and perspective. And I pray that we would take advantage of the relationships and the discussions and the opportunities that you would lay before us today and in the days ahead. May we truly reflect Jesus as our great Lord and Savior. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.